keep going. Welcome to the Keep Going Podcast, y'all. In this episode, your intrepid hosts try something new. We didn't feel like we had enough of a robust topic to fill our usual 60 to 75 minute conversational window. So we decided to cobble together something, see if it adheres. Likely it doesn't, but each of these topics felt like it needed to be aired. So here we are, airing them out. In the first third of the episode, we discussed my favorite album of all time, Talk Talk's Laughing Stock. Their album, released in 1991, which is, in my opinion, as close to a perfect album as can be found. I was confident Michael would really enjoy it, but it took him a while to get around to putting the headphones on and giving it a spin, or a stream, or whatever it is. What follows is our random, meandering discussion on that album. In the second third, we discuss Michael's recent triathlon, a 70.3 half iron in Waco, Texas. Since we've peppered many of our recent episodes with tidbits from Michael's training, we felt it timely and instructive to do a little post-mortem. And finally, we took a listener's recent comment to me that they'd like a little more tangible training and racing tactics from the podcast. So we ended up discussing whether or not we should actually give the people what they want. So if there's something that you want, drop us a line. Send an email to me at sissom at telosrunning.com. Or if you like this shit, Give us a rating or review wherever you get your podcast consumables. We hope this episode finds you healthy, happy, and hail. And please, my friends, Godspeed. Godspeed. There we go. That's awesome. It's, it, was, it was a family gift. It's beautiful. Yeah, my dad gave it to my brother. It's a box. It's made out of some exotic wood. And... Uh, it looks like teak. And then my brother gave it to me. The, the little... Mallets. The mallet is broken, but we'll, we'll, we got it back. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> Does it have a name? It's the whale. The well? Yeah, the whale. Oh, the I think whale. It looks like a whale. Don't oh, it you does suppose? look like a whale yeah. for sure. Yes. <laughs> Which was it? What was that movie with Jeff Daniels? Was that his name? Jeff Daniels, the whale. Oh, the the book, the movie about the bo- the man. Oh, maybe who that was, was a new one called Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser called I the whale. I did not see the whale. <sighs> so good, <laughs> but there was another heavy. one with Jeff Daniels called the something and the whale. Oh, Jonah and the whale. No, no, not Jonah and the whale. Uh, Noah and the whale or something so. like I, that. I forget. No, it was written by Noah Bloom. Anyway, yeah. Movies. We should have some movie reviews yeah. soon. Well, what we're doing today, we're going to start with uh, because I've been missing. I was thinking about this the other day, Michael. I really want to do a music episode, but I don't want to do a music episode because our conversations have been so good lately that I don't want to do, I don't want to, I don't want to take up an entire episode with music, but I do think that it would be fun to sprinkle in music or movie or something like that into our episodes at the beginning as a, as a, as a proof that we have other interests that align with each other. We do exist (laughs) in the cultural world. But we also really have a similar resonance in our tastes, both from a literary standpoint, a a cinematic standpoint, certainly from a musical standpoint. Many touchstones we didn't even realize that we had as foundational, like remember when you said something about Fortet 
and mm -hmm. the album rounds and that is a core album for me at a certain time in my life and it was a core album for yeah. you at a certain time and, Very big deal. and we're pretty divergent in age uh, definitely different generations and different ages so it, they're hitting us at different times in our lives right? even from the uh the 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 mark kozilek stuff yeah uh i didn't know if you Sun would, Kill you Moon would be, and i didn't know if that would uh, I was an old school Red House Painters guy. Okay, so, cool. Yeah, yeah. From the early, from the night, from the eighties, I listened to Red House Painters in the eighties and nineties when he was first putting his stuff out. Right? The stuff with Sun Kill Moon was like really great. so good. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, very droney. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, Steve got me to listen to something I didn't see coming. Yeah. So I m asked Michael. I've, I've asked him repeatedly, by the way, just to put it out there, to listen to selective hearing. One of sometimes. my favorite albums of all time. And in fact, if you asked, if you held me by gunpoint, I would say right now it is my favorite album of all time. It's an album by a band called Talk Talk, and that many people may have not have heard of, or if they have heard of, they just know it them from their uh, from some of their eighty songs that have been made super popular, but continue to be really popular these days. Um, it's My Life is especially mm -hmm. one that most people know, and it's also been on many, you know, in, in romantic comedies. Yeah, that. <laughs> it's in romantic, romantic comedies and ads and things like that. Um, but his last album, the 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 creator, the, the mad genius behind Talk Talk is a name guy named Mark Hollis, and he... Uh, Lee the singer. Mm -hmm, he's a yeah. singer, and and he's um, and he's definitely the producer because this album was incredibly heavily I read produced. That there were fifty some odd studio musicians on it. Correct. It doesn't sound like it because it's a very and they all played. He had hours and hours and hours of background of 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 source material that then he turned into the album Laughing Stock, which is his final album before he sort of disappeared for a mm -hmm. while. Came out in 1991. I listened to this album right after it came out. At a, I was at a record store uh, in Austin, Texas, the Great Sound Exchange, which isn't with us anymore, and it was playing on their album. You know, the album they were playing in the store, and I'd never heard of Talk Talk. I probably knew that song that you just played, "It's My Life," but it, I wasn't resonant with them. But I heard this song, the, and it is the song. Um, to me, it, it's, you're probably talking about new grass. It's new grass, and it just came on, and I, I, or maybe it was already going on, or something. That album was playing already, but I wasn't paying attention. Mm -hmm. But that song came on, and it just, I, I just stopped. I yeah. couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't move. I was lost. And then I said, "Who is this?" The guy told me. I picked up, put down all the other things I had in my hand, picked that album up, CD up, because I was a CD guy, and took it home, put it on the CD player, put on headphones, and listen to this album through and I probably listened to it uh, that was 1991 and I have listened to it probably something like once a month ever since it's always in play especially now since Spotify showed back up because when Spotify Spotify showed up I didn't have to go rummaging through my CD collection to try to find it yeah sure it was right it was you know you could pull it up pretty quick yeah I made a little playlist uh of of that one, and I think it's going to find its way into both the Spotify algorithm and a bunch of my playlists. But that that song and After the Flood were the mm. two that kind of pulled me in. But then the whole, it seems like the whole album is 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 loosely revolving around those two songs, and the other ones are kind of just teeing those 
ideas up. Yeah, and I don't, and I think that they, I would definitely agree with you on that. And they're, they're those two songs stand up to any two songs I've ever heard in my life anywhere. So mm-hmm. they're really, really excellent songs. Um, and somebody might say some of the other out songs are not the same caliber. I think they're just not as catchy, hooky, or as falling into the sort of the, the somatic experience we like to have you of have great music. You have to get music. through the tension of the first track or two. Yes. And then when it kind of unfolds, you're like, oh shit, they're pulling it out. Like they're, 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 they're pulling out all the stops or whatever you want to call it. It's just like, the, okay, this is getting a little bit more musical, but but they do hold back some of the musicality that you know that they have in the back pocket. Because when he's it hits. Pl- playing with sound. Yeah. And the instrumentation and some other kind of spirit i think there's a spiritual thing going on with his with this artist in his conception there's a lot of allusions to um especially to easter and all the things you know the especially the christian things around easter mm-hmm. right um it seems to be a thing ascension day is in there mm-hmm. that, or that may have been the album before but anyway there's just so the reason i love this album so much and why i wanted you to hear it is because it's the greatest cohesive piece of musical art I've ever heard in my yeah, life. Yeah, and it's entire. It's, it's, it's designed got, it's got as the a piece. idea of like um, um, a piece of classical music. Correct. That that just it goes and it keeps going, and you don't know where the track breaks are. You will not know where the track breaks are, but every once in a while you hear you'll hear some musicality to it. That that's what was cool. With and if me, it comes is, back around again. If, if you get to the end and it starts again, you won't know. Yeah, you don't really know. I actually had to play it twice because I was like, what What did I just listen to? Because there were moments in there. And then I realized that the moments where I was kind of like a little bit more, um, could like understand what's truly going on uh, were their own individual tracks. And it, to me, it was, it's kind of perfect um, in terms of it. I like the name, mm-hmm. Laughing Stock. Mm-hmm. And... There's, there's clearly coming from, you know, it's my life. <laughs> You'll do good. <laughs> it's like going from stuff like that to something that like clearly matters to somebody. Yeah. Uh, you almost wonder what, what's up with the name? Y- you know, what's up with this kind of like dystopian looking tree? With you know, all these strange with birds. With all of these, yeah, strange, strange, you know, it's like laughing stock. Where are we the laughing stock? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the laughing? It's so interesting to I kind agree. of. It looks like, like lungs. If you step, push it out just a little bit further, yeah. you see how it, the, the way that tree oh, yeah. is designed, it looks like lungs. There's this whole inside, outside hermetic thing going on, I think. And he's also tracing um, what feels like a. Uh, I might like you know how much I love the fool's journey. It feels like a fool's journey kind of thing. Yeah, it does. It feels like there's this. It really does. Like there's this, and it, because it recurs, and it's not the hero's art. No, you it's, know, it it's recurs. A, yeah. It comes mm-hmm. back, and that the beauty. Some of the beauty in this album are in these long, extended, almost dissonant play where 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 the sound is being like moved and and distorted in a way, and then all of a sudden a really clean electric guitar. Pick, picking line comes through again and yeah. you're like what like how did yeah. you go from that yeah, dissonance yeah, yeah. to this absolutely exactly. crystalline clear I tried to line. get the timing and it was the time I tried actually tried to map out the timing mm-hmm. and I'm having a hard time doing it yes okay. um, yeah you'll know what I'm talking about if you listen to the track 
new grass yeah. and it's it makes sense but i don't know where the breaks are usually you'll have a one two three one two mm-hmm. three one two one two three one two and you know, i was like where is the half measure like where is it i could not find it so i'm, I'm still trying but i I'm out of practice in terms of my transcribing musicalities these days, but but it, in terms of of what's going on, I do think that it it comes it there the the you know kind of the motifs will come up in the first I guess it's Merman and Ascension Day. Um, yeah, those the, first two songs they they set up a they they require you to. Put in some deep listening, they, and, yeah, and, and and that's why I tell people if you're going to listen to this album, it is not a background noise album. Now, once you listen to it, like me, thousands you, of yeah. times, mm-hmm. you can put it on in the background, but you're not going to. It's not going to move up into your top 500 albums of all time unless you sit down. You and really got it. Gotta, yeah. You got to give it some time, and then you need to be into and you need to be into um, a little bit of you need you need to have a a, a wide open stylistic taste I mean, it's not uh catchy pop music no and it's, his vocal timbre is very kind of like a little strange it's a, a little, little unusual it, it's, it's not it's not off-putting like some people find dylan um yeah or or i find david bowie sometimes even though david bowie has this beautiful sound it's not it, yeah. i guess it's a little more like david bowie in the sense that the timbre not it doesn't sound like david bowie don't get mm-hmm. me wrong but the timbre of david bowie's voice sometimes mm-hmm. makes me yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and this, at first, this might have it to some people. It doesn't to me because I just love his voice. But he's a tenor, but he's not a super high tenor, and he's not, and he's not going very far. He's not using his voice as an instrument of of melody. He's using his voice as an instrument of. Uh, of, of, of harmonizing with what he's putting on in the music, right? The words are coming. And in fact, a lot of times the words themselves are hard to tell what he's saying. And I just looked at, it's, it's to me, I just kept thinking of Jeff Buckley, but oh, it looks yeah. like Grace was, the album Grace was after this in 94. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, and then, you know, you want to know what's crazy. I forgot to tell you this, but um Mm-hmm. Going through my head, I'm, go- I'm going through my mental uh, filing cabinet right now into Radiohead. Um, there's a Radiohead song that was directly influenced by this album. Oh, I wouldn't um, be surprised. And and it was. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of Radiohead's work was influenced. I think this band, the last two Talk Talk albums, influenced so much of what came out of '90s English music. Um, outside the blur, I, I, I'd say '90s, '90s English music that um, that didn't fit in that blur oasis category. You know? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll I'll definitely find it later. But as I was thinking about this album, I actually had a Radiohead song pop up, and I was like, "Oh my God, mm-hmm. they're they're so similar." So yeah, sorry to be so cryptic, but it's okay. But yeah, it was. It's interesting how many things that came after this that I actually think were influenced by I, this. I think this was one of the most influential albums of what we might call post-rock, like the post-rock era that came out. Much of what happened in the early aughts. Let me give you a band. I don't know if you know the band. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, we Forget It in People. This is it. Reckoner. Oh, yeah. Reckoner. This, that's the song, Steve. It's, it's the Reckoner. Yeah. Um, 
I played. Yeah, this is what we talked about. It was one of my favorite albums. Yeah, this is totally. Yes. It's like, oh shit! It's got the Jeff Buckley. It's got the talk talk in it. It's got. The, I could, dude. That's straight off. That's the straight off of the yes, album. I agree. Sections of it, right? Yeah. Sections of it. Now, talk talk doesn't have that same groove. It doesn't sit in a pocket. Yeah, but and the groove. drum sound does. Oh, it does. It's yes. the same. It's the they got. The, I, I, they got that palette directly from that album. This song, the palette was directly from it. You know those UK guys? They stick together. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so the <laughs> album I was they, the, the the UK musicians. They, they that's got why each I said it's British. Back. It's English yeah. and British. Like, uh, but then it also came over in the early aughts. With that whole crew that was part of the broken social scene. I don't know if you're a fan of broken social scene. I love that. Then they ended up with Feist as a part of that. There's a lot of different... They, they, that, that scene broke into a whole bunch of really interesting things like 2003, 4, 5, 6 or something like that. And there's an album which I consider my like number one running album. Like the one that I love. It's called You Forget It and People by Broken Social Scene. And it's oh. a beautiful running album. It's like the perfect Sonomancy like, like track and I like it because it's all of a piece but they also were heavily influenced by Talk Talk you can sure. just absolutely tell it um, and I didn't really think about it when it came out but now I can see those things yeah anyway we that's our short little record review check for, it out for uh, I'm a believer Talk Talk um, maybe next time Michael can, can can throw one out my way and I'll try to do yeah. what I can with it um, but uh, yeah that's 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 I just wanted to jump in and because we weren't going to do a full episode a full album thing let's just do a quick one that was that was cool um the other thing we wanted to do today too was Michael just ran a race he just he just we've been talking about his 70.3 experience through various um you know system modalities talking about training and thinking about training and Michael's processes have come up consistently in this podcast so far our conversations about it so i thought it might be good if michael gave us a short little uh like, like just a some kind of experiential race report right like what, yeah, from no, whatever direction works for, for you sure yeah i mean so to catch you up to speed we've been working with kind of setting up a very very um a long base phase and building phase and and uh, it's been really nice building volume, not really building too much intensity, but I did kind of turn it on in the last three weeks just to kind of get race ready and kind of uh, rev the engine just a little bit. And um, so I went in and for context, my main race is going to be in April of 2024 and it's going to take me a lot of time to get ready. And so I'm trying to extract every bit of performance that I can in this time frame. And all I've been thinking about really is base phase. So I got this um, master swimming class that I've been swimming with and um, doing a lot of uh, aerobic bike riding, running with Steve's group when I can, uh, especially on the Thursday group, and just doing a lot of low intensity volume and working my schedule around my life instead of working my life primarily around my schedule and trying to optimize it kind of from a backwards Standpoint. I know a lot of people try and build their life around the most optimized schedule, but my whole kind of mission in the past, you know, six months is to build a schedule that's optimized, optimized mainly around my like anxiety schedule <laughs> and my circadian rhythm or maybe the same thing. So um, anyway, we got to kind of get some benchmarks and that was the idea. Race intention going in was 
just to swim strong. I've been swimming, putting in a lot of time with the um, swim group, and I intend to put quite a bit more time in with the swim group. And in that case, I wanted to treat it with reverence and basically just swim with good form, swim strong, not try and get out too far over the skis, but like really just kind of envision what a strong, consistent swim would be. And, you know, the the only thing I'll I'll say about this, and I know this is a running podcast, but what's interesting about doing all the different strokes in a proper swim group is that I felt stronger in the water than I've ever felt in my life, period. I've been doing more volume, but I mean, the amount of strength in my torso, my upper body, and my kick is, uh, is, is, it's kind of like mind blowing. So I did get a swim personal best, uh, by about a minute swam at about a minute. And I don't know what the pace splits are, but if you want context on that for me, I'm not a great swimmer at all. Uh, but I did, um, below a minute and 45 or something ish for a 100, but I wasn't thinking about time. There was no time involved. It was just swim strong, catch through the water, um, make sure that catch is strong the whole time. And if I started to feel fatigued or losing my form, then dial it back, swim slower, and just let it be. And so I got through the swim, had a personal best. One thing I want to, I just want to highlight this. What you're discussing in your swim training was that you, you needed to move away from a specific, your coach values non-specific work to create the core foundational learnings and body, the, the core thing you need from a strength perspective to be able to be a good freestyle swimmer, it, you get a lot of that from being a good butterfly, a re- decent butterfly or decent, doing all yeah. the backstroke, the butterfly and the breaststroke all allow you to gain core competencies, core competencies and greater facility because you're working in non-specific ways. Whereas somebody who might be in a triathlon training program that's focused primarily for, they don't get these core competencies. This is very much an important thing to highlight. And I want to highlight it for people. This is why in my program and why I think anybody doing any program they have needs to be doing multi-pace work. I can't change the, it's still running, you know, not unlike swimming where you get to move your body in a whole bunch of different positions. Uh, running is the only way we can simulate that is by doing stuff that's faster than race. They have variety along a spectrum, a large, a variety of paces. So I just wanted to double click on that to say you, you mentioned it, but I think it's really important to hear. Whereas maybe later in the cycle, as you're doing that, you might move away from so much of that, uh, I don't know if you're going to go into Ironman and maybe yeah, e- the last exactly. month you might really work on just freestyle, but right. your core strength that you got was because you were doing a, whole, a wide variety of other strokes that created a core competency that is, that's just really hard to beat. Yeah, and from a, from a, yeah, a non-coach's perspective, because I'm not a coach and I don't claim to be, that it does seem to have a direct correlation into the speed variability, you know, yes. pacing systems. And, and that to me is like what I'm trying to articulate without being too um, candid about like, this is what you should be doing. But that's yeah. exactly what I was experiencing in the water was yeah. a core competency that was far above what I've felt before and a comfort and an ease and kind of rhythm in the water due to all of these different types of variabilities. Um, 
and so anyway, got out of the water and got onto the bike and, um, I, the, I'm not going to say too much about, about this. The, the bike hasn't changed that much. Um, I'm not really excelling at the bike. Um, they, I'm going to have to, I've got some work to do to kind of defrag what's going on there. Um, I think for all the, if there is any triathlon nerds out there, um, I'm pretty light right now, like 143. And so half of these races are probably likely going into a headwind. <laughs> and when it just felt like I'm not putting as much power into the drivetrain as I need to kind of like stay planted onto the ground. And you can't, and you can't. And you try and fix that through being aerodynamic. You try and fix a lot of things. But I think the reality is I either need to do more volume, I either need to gain weight, or I need to do hill repeats or I need to do like, you know, Romanian deadlifts and stuff like that. So it's like, there's a cool kind also of... Also riding by yourself, probably outdoors by yourself exactly. is probably important too. Yeah. Because of that, you can't, you, 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 you can't tuck in behind other people. There's no, you're not allowed to do that in the, in the iron. Right. In that. You can't draft. You're not allowed to do it. So that's, that's a normal, natural part of the process for cyclists typically as they're riding in groups. So when you're outdoors riding and you're riding in groups, you're, you're really not specific no you're not <laughs> that, that that's an important feature to and when you're inside on a trainer you're definitely not specific right so good to do that occasionally yeah so yeah. cycling's been on par you know i've always i've always struggled with it because i'm not a natural uh cyclist you don't have huge quads either no you're not like, no yeah. I've, I've, i think i'm more built for running mm -hmm. and so when i got on the run um the intention was also the intention going into the bike was um, operate at an aerobic level that I wanted to operate at and and then output the data and discover the data. And the data, lo and behold, at the output is, is like it's always been. Mm. So it's like I can either keep doing what I'm doing and get the same output or I can try and maybe explore a few different other realms in the bike and maybe there will be a different outcome. That's about my takeaway. But the data read very similar to what it's always been. And um, But that being said, I got off the bike and operating within that aerobic capacity that I kind of put a threshold on getting into the run, it was like, okay, this is where the whole, this whole race kind of like would come to fruition. And my intention was, okay, I'm doing half of the distance of the race that I'm doing in about five or six months. Let's run at the pace I want to run for the next race and just see what happens. Use a pace, but then see what happens aerobically when I settle into that pace. So I get off the bike and I'm running and I'm running at what seems to be a very easy pace. And I'm going and I'm looking down at my watch. I'm like, something's gotta be wrong. <laughs> and uh, so this guy runs up next to me and he's like, what you trying to do? And I was like, oh, settle in, in between 7.30 and eight minute per mile. You know, I just got off the bike and I'm just trying to get some data. I literally said, I'm just trying to get some data on my, what my kind of like, aerobic system is going to do at this pace after these types of, after exercising for like probably, I don't know what it was at that point, like three hours. I've been exercising for three hours and I want to know what it feels like to settle in at this pace and what happens. And, uh, and he was like, man, you're running at like a seven minute pace. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going <laughs> to, I was like, at some point I was like, you know what? I'll settle into my race intention. If if this feels bad the next mile mm. and I just Never. next mile after that was like 645 or 650 I was like huh 
this is interesting. The next mile, I said, if I feel bad the next mile, you know, I'm just going to back it off. And I did this for every single mile for 13 miles and came off with like uh, a low 650 pace or 652 or something for an hour and a half, half marathon after exercising for three hours. So, you know, three and a half or whatever it is hours. And uh, so the race time was around five hours. It wasn't a personal best, but the run was shattered, absolutely shattered. Um, the takeaway from that was uh, fascinating because I didn't think that I had the capacity to run like that. So it's very, so very optimistic, very, very, um, very cool findings. And the only thing that I can think of was during the race, I was thinking to myself, man, there's an, I'm feeling like my nervous system is in a better place to go these paces than it was before in the previous races because my body wasn't telling me to stop. So that was a big one. Um, for whatever reason, there was like, there was no physical stress. And in the second was, um, I've been doing 10 mile long runs on Wednesday, doing a lot, mm. lot of volume and working around that kind of this, this whole idea where I built my schedule around my life. And I was like, you know what? Longer runs in the weekday, midweek or whatever have been just exceptional. It's been exceptional. So I don't know. It's the most efficient race I've ever completed probably. Um, and very optimistic. I don't know what the, what the key takeaways from your perspective are, but mine are that, um, mine are, mine are just very, very optimistic about the, what this base phase, what kind of performance you can extract from just a base phase alone with turning on the light switch at kind of like that last kind of maybe month and then how I'm going to kind of start to relay I, I mean I'm not even I'm not sore you know I'm taking some time off but I'm going to build up gradually so it's it's a very fascinating time I think well one of the things we talked about in that Maffetone episode was about how hard it is to do it to mm -hmm. stay committed to that and not keep jamming through the paces to prove and or make yourself feel better about where you may or may not be. And that a phase, a early part of any training process really benefits from an extended window of time where you can do that. I think that that just shows that you weren't, you weren't rusty and slower and less than prepared for your, your early season test because you did primarily aerobic, non-pace, not not focused on a wide variety of paces over an extended window of time. Right? Which is you, why there was a margin of nervous system kind of input. I could throw at my nervous system and it could handle it. There was a there was a larger buffer size on the nervous system to be able to handle that fatigue on race day because I hadn't experienced it in the training. Yeah, and. Now, one thing I think that's really critical here, we, we should just, you know, as a coach, the one thing I always think about is uh, total contextual awareness, as much contextual awareness as you can get. You, you weren't pushing a big gear on the bike, and you couldn't push a big gear on the bike, and so you came off the bike super good, right? Like, pretty well. I mean, were you wrecked when you came off the bike? No, I felt very average when some I came people, off the bike. Some like a lot of people. It's easy to get that off the won't bike be the feeling case. like, oh shit. Yeah, that I won't be to. the case in your Ironman. Like when you run and when you do it in April, it, it's unlikely to be the case for most people that they're going to come off the bike 
feeling like a spring chicken. That's where it usually <laughs> takes. Like my intention was for eight miles. I just want to settle into a yes. pace because that, that's Don't about that how long it takes to really settle in. There's this level of fatigue and pain that you come off a 112 mile bike ride and it takes about eight to 10 miles yep. to really but it doesn't accumulate running this, it doesn't accumulate the same way in the 56 mile ride or and you weren't hammering not, no. and you weren't hammering mm -hmm. right so but but I, I do think that it still is instructive to say that um i mean it is pretty impressive to pr at, in an early season race at that distance coming off the bike not not your half marathon pr right but it, but the, the no, but it did, it, it did beat my Boston paces yeah. for half of Boston this yeah. year Yeah, by, you, you know, so like it's fascinating to even think about, about what if this were to translate directly into running, how it made me feel about running is that I'm not even close to what capacity I should be running at. Not even close. Yes, I agree. But it also shows that you do really well with a low stress on your system race approach, which isn't a way you've raced typically. You yeah. did at Boston, yeah. but you don't typically. Typically you're like, I know what I'm capable of. I'm gonna go at that pace. I'm gonna try to even split, slight negative split, like most people do, right? Mm -hmm. And I think not enough people spend time, have, have race experiences where their their only objective is to to, to experience their feeling state and work with their feeling state, whatever the numbers show. And that low stress that of your intention going into the run and having a pace that was, you know, 7.30 to 8, but yet you were going 30 seconds per mile, consistently 30 seconds per mile faster than your fastest end of that, is because everything was moving smoothly. Not that we want to say that your intention created that, but more that, 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 that allowance of flexibility, relaxation, no stress, no pressure, just do whatever's being done. And then the repeated feedback loops that you were getting back by seeing numbers that were 650, which is 40 seconds per mile faster than the yep. fastest window you had, created the space where you said, nothing to worry about, just do one more mile at this, see what happens. One more mile, do it this, see what this happens. And I guarantee you, if you had run into a situation six or seven miles in, where you hit where you ran, you what you what you were running the same pace, and it showed up as seven or seven fifteen. Mm -hmm. You would have backed off to seven thirty. You would have been happy as a clam. Your body would have recovered yeah. and recuperated, and you would have carried on at seven thirty. Or you might have been able to get faster, but it's just that at some point you would have pushed that edge, and then you would have moved into greater levels of fatigue that your body yeah. would need to recover from. Not a bad thing, but I just want to highlight this that it is possible to run exceeding really close to your best performance off of feel. Oh, man. But if you mm. want to get your very best performance, you need feel and data to get it yeah. just right. And then late in your cycle, you should always be bringing that specific data in so you're really, really fine-tuned and ready to deal with that work as you can. Sure. And it really makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. And it really does create that kind of uh, pop and boom that, that can work. Um, as always, though, I was, I mean, I was playing with, with the red line, you know, the whole mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And when it got to the last two miles, I mean, it was it was a tough last two miles for sure. And it was cool because I could then simulate what I think is probably the most important part of the race, which is like, you know, are you going to make it to the end of the race at this pace? And I was like, yeah, we're going to make it, but it's not going to be easy. And I got to dry heave and, you know, do my, every time I see the finish line these days, I throw up and dry heave. But... It's because I, I do tempt 
fate a lot by like kind of battling with the paces and kind of or gambling with the paces. So this one actually worked out in the favor. And I think that was a, that's a cool feedback loop to put in. Like mm. again, where it's not just, it wasn't a crap out, but it was a well-calculated kind of like, it was fun to be able to say like, just one more. And if you feel like this, the next mile, then throttle back. Yeah. If you feel like this, the next mile, then throttle back. And I think it's instructive for our listeners to continue to, to try to, to try to run a run a race that way occasionally it's a really good way to do it and you still get to that place where you suffer well as our one of my athletes loves to say you you were focused over those last few miles on suffering well like you yeah, weren't it is, wasn't like woo. In, actually in the race i thought of one thing that you told somebody for the marathon um was if you're not feeling that well you can always just pull back for a mile yes and that's why i was like hey if if i don't feel well then i could pull back 45 seconds and basically rest for a mile and that was a good thing to put in the head because it was like because if I have to on the next mile all I have to do is just pull back and I was like you know what I'll feel better after that too so I'm only going to lose 45 seconds in this whole thing it's so interesting I just had a conversation with one of my athletes we're going into our our uh, the the largest part of my group's command performance race is coming up next weekend at Indy and um, the monumental marathon and one of my athletes, we were talking. I was talking about. He's like, I'm not sure exactly where I am, and I'm like, that's okay. You just, I said the same thing. I just that you just said that. I, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay if you get there and you tip into the, the the danger place. Just back off of ten seconds, fifteen seconds a mile, and you're very quickly going to feel really, really good. It, it it it's especially in the marathon early on, right? It's like it's super easy to do that, and then and then it it turns into a positive. Backing off turns into a positive experience. But I said to him. He's like, yeah, that's really hard to do. And I said, well, if it's really hard to do, then we need to start doing it in practice. Yeah. We need to start training for that, where we're going to do it, where we're going to do it on purpose, where we're going to run five or six or seven miles at marathon pace, and then you're going to back off a mile and then see, and then just put it in and then start back up. Even and just having that, knowing how to do it, I can imagine that it would be such a huge asset because just having it mentally was a big deal. I mean, I was already running way faster than the pace that I thought I wanted to go run. So it was like, I mean, that having having the idea that you can back off at any point in time when the wheels start to fall off it's a false it's a it's 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 purely the the relationship that you have with pain that's it it's not about pace and it's not about time it's the it's it's knowing that you do have a direct relationship with it and how you can kind of um put it at you know, settle it down. Yeah. Like settle your shit. Now the half marathon <laughs> is especially generous in this regard, mm-hmm. that race distance. Um, the paces usually feel pretty good for most people for mm-hmm. extended periods of time. Um, and you're able to dance, what I call dance on the edge a little bit better. Whereas you can't really do that in a marathon mm-hmm. or a 5k because you have to kind of stay in the pocket because the race is going to get really, real late. The, the the requirements, the energetic metabolizing requirements of the late race experience are uh, so strong that you have to be ready. You have to, you have to, you have to lay back to be ready for it. Mm-hmm. And, but whereas in the half, you don't have to lay back. You can just take that momentary pause. Right. Yeah. yeah. But if a person's in trouble in a marathon or a 5k backing off always helps, but people's mindsets are so much like if I back off, I'll never get back there. Well, you're never going to get there anyway. Back mm-hmm. off as a, as a strategy. And then, but it is, I think it would be really helpful for people to do it in training occasionally to give themselves that confidence that that does play out in work. Sure. 
you kind of need your for your nervous system to calm down and give you that room to roam to give you that that trust necessary it needs to know that you're trustworthy <laughs> this, this yeah there was so much pointing at the nervous system for this race as an indicator of you know all systems are go that was a really it hasn't been like that for a while mm. and, and, and the it's only always, difference has been the 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 I, mindset and relationship and gonna, with training and kind of seeing it as a as a practice and seeing it as something that's not right or wrong but just kind of operating where i am at this particular time this was it was just kind of like here i am planted in this situation i'm exercising at, at a high level for five hours what's going on and that to me was the first time i could feel that through line the whole race um that nervous system um sub the subfloor like mm -hmm. the thing that's running on your nervous system keeping that coherent and cohesive and clean as much as possible for extended windows of time is the recipe for success for any high level mastery activity you're trying to do but especially for physiological ones because of the of the space of feeling unsafe and then how do I protect myself from that? So, but, but many people don't think about it from that perspective, which is why I think it was so useful for you because you've been, it's been sitting in the back of your mind saying, keep clean, keep cohesive, keep aligned, keep my intention. And you know, the thing about intention is the actual intention is not important. The, 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 the intention yeah. is just there to set the conditions to allow a calmer, cooler, relaxed Yeah, nervous that's system interesting. Yeah, that allows sure. you to play with the things the way mm -hmm. you need to. But that's okay because if, but some people need that. So it doesn't matter. But if you get that down, if you set that in and you feel good about that, it really, it really works. And ultimately, the funny thing is, is that we are, this is where our cultures, our culture really hurts us in some ways because we have this. I'm sorry, but it's just baked into us. We have a cliche, no pain, no gain. Mm -hmm. There's just this idea that if it's not hurting, I'm not getting a benefit out of it. And we know that not to be true in training, okay? We all see that. We put a little bit of pain in recovery, but it doesn't seem to show up on race day. We seem to think that the more pain I'm in, the more the more proud I can be about my, uh, my performance. It's like, no, 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 actually do it just right. You only have to deal with that pain for some period of time <laughs> and then by the time you're dealing with it that's when it actually becomes fun and deal it's, with. <laughs> it's literally what you signed up for yeah <laughs> it's what you signed up if for. your pain hits you in the last 10k of a marathon then it's like all right yeah this is the experience yeah <laughs> like, yeah i definitely feel like a broken record on that one i feel like we've talked about that on this podcast i talk about it with my athletes all the time yeah but, but I do why think, you can't reinforce it enough i don't think it can be reinforced enough and i think because because if people hear it enough, then one time they're in the middle of a run or a race and they have an experience of it and then they learn it because they're like, oh, that's what he was talking about, yeah. you know, and, and then you feel it. And then when you feel it, then you're able to use it. And if you're able to use it, you never unlearn that lesson. That lesson's yeah. one that just stays with you because like you had that experience you had this weekend, like it's just too good. It just gives by itself. It proves the meaning that you gave to this event as a as a test for where your current fitness is reinforcement utterly reinforced your meaning and your purpose and your why you're doing it because it gave you a good feedback on it hit that base phase and then the, you learn <laughs> and you also learned you need you got work to do on the bike yeah for sure and that's fun 
Because yeah. we always need something to work on, right? And you love problems. Yeah, I if like, you don't, I if like you don't solving. Make, if yeah. you don't have a problem, you'll make one up. Believe me, I've been, yeah. I've been hanging around you long enough to know that you'll make and a problem if one doesn't exist. Here's another here's another takeaway. and I've always wanted to run a sub-seven-minute half and translate that into a seven-minute to a 7.30-minute full. Mm, that's cool. It's interesting to kind of get to that level and be like, God, why'd you... Why'd you put a ceiling on it again? Like, mm. why did you ceiling that? Like, it wasn't even, it's not that it wasn't hard. It, it's not a measure of how hard or easy it was to kind of experience that once in a race. But like, why was the ceiling there in the first place? So bizarre. Mm. Yeah. It's like, why the sub three? Why, why, like, we do it and I get it and, and it drives us. But what's so fascinating is like, well, you know, I could have gone straight to the finish a long time ago if if I realized that. I wouldn't have to wonder if it would have ever been possible. I would have spent less time thinking about running that pace after a bike ride was possible and what it would feel like. It's more fun to just experience it in real time and just operate where you are at that period of time because it felt, it didn't feel like, oh, we're doing that thing that we wanted to do for so long. It kind of just felt normal felt beautiful. natural beautiful you know what i mean yeah i think this is um this is another drop uh another another brick in the wall of of Ilya kipchoge's no human is limited you just had an experience you had a direct experience of what he's talking about there like don't put limits because if you don't put limits things might be better than you could expect 100%, and that's just yeah. one aspect of that statement that he makes i think there's a lot of really amazing um multi-layered yeah uh learnings from that statement of no human is limited and i think it's actually operating kind of like a zen koan it's kind of trying to fuck with your head in the first place like everybody's like it's not true i do have limits but what you found in that run was like oh no why did i put that limit there and i think it just leans into kipchoge's kind of one of the reasons why he makes that statement is hey dang we should write a running a running koan book. I've been thinking about that very much. So yes, we, this is a, so it would just say, you know, except not limited thinking, something like that, mm -hmm. whatever. No human is limited. Elliot Kipchoge. Maybe it's like an homage to like some of the greats and some yes. of our own ideas. Some yes. of like running is a practice. Yes. Not, uh, everything is training. Your pursuit is part of your practice. And it's funny. Like those could just be like pages in the book, like mm -hmm. recite these, Get yes. to know these. And then we could have like these discourses that yeah. accompany the the little book. And then maybe, this maybe. Is, <laughs> this is literally one of the projects I have in play for the Running on Purpose podcast yeah. is that, but I have, so I have three categories of this. This is super interesting. There's three categories. Running koans, okay? Those are uh, pithy statements that hit you hard, but don't make sense. And designed to make you think at multiple levels because they don't quite. They're make designed sense. to be, yeah. You have to work part through, of Zen Buddhism. You have to work through the incongruous, the incongruity, to arrive at your own answer for what that is. However, what's interesting in the Zen koan tradition is that the masters, so your Zen master, your teacher, already knows the right answer because there's only one right answer. But it has to be filtered through that particular individual's life experience. And and all the things they're trying to learn, right? But they've managed to do it. 
it's beautiful. There's a whole and book called pra- the, the yeah. Blue Cliff. I think it's called the Blue Cliff Record, and it's just a, like a book full of Zen koans. But I think there are running koans. Another area I'd like to, to I like want to work on is cliches. Okay, I I think cliches are amazing. Here's my you everybody who's listened to this podcast already knows one of my favorites, which is do your best. Mm-hmm. This is something we tell people, but damn if that thing isn't absolutely truly real, operates at multiple levels, and is incredibly instructive in in a in a variety of different ways to really help you. You know, it's like really really helpful. I think that great project. It is. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Anyway, yeah. uh, well, that was fun though. I, I like the race recap. I it was it was good, man. It's fun. I just to, think we we just spent enough time talking about it in yeah that I thought it would be good to to re- recount. And so we don't because we only have about thirty minutes or fifteen minutes left, whatever time we have left. We do have a tiny little topic we thought we would unpack. Mm-hmm. Michael, you brought this one because um, I walked in the door giving you a story about our podcast. Somebody who had who had interfaced with... We're always struggling with... What are know, we doing? Do, what are we doing? <laughs> What's happening here? What the hell is this? Doesn't Keep matter going if there's podcast. five or 5,000 or 50,000 listeners. Like, I've never thought about how many listeners there are on the Believe me, there are not 50,000. So. <laughs> I know. And I've, I'm more on the... I'm on the I'm, I bet you we have about at least 10. Like, I don't know. So I never really think about... What what we're trying to do, and then you said that somebody's feedback was, ah, I need more actionable stuff. I need more praxis. I need more. What I need your you guys give some great stuff, and it's really interesting hearing you talk. But I need some takeaways. I need some pragmatic takeaways. So, well, so we we're not going to necessarily provide pragmatic takeaways. Pragmatic takeaways. We're just going to discuss whether or not we think this podcast should do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, personally, I do this podcast because my whole life is pragmatic takeaways, and everything that I have to do has to be packaged up in a nice little message and given in a nice little clean way. And and I'm like, man, maybe this is the one thing I'm that I don't really have to think too hard about. And, and if we wander, we wander, but I'm like, wait a second. What, what's your, what's your state of the union? We're 20, 30 some odd episodes in and what's your take on it? I was curious uh, what your take is and if we need to implement more actionable, practical. I, I, I don't care to, as I've said a number of times, I think this podcast is a conversation between originally three friends and now two friends um, that the listener gets to sit around our uh, coffee table or at our bar top or around our fire mm-hmm. and um, feel like uh, they're eavesdropping on a real conversation between two people about uh, what's going on in their lives, but filtered through the context of uh, both of our experiences of being runners, um, my experience of being a coach, you being a shoe designer, super intriguing and interesting. And then um, whatever whatever shows up in the room that day. And I'm a big proponent of Dialogos, which is like the beauty, the, the, the logic of conversation, two people in conversation and the logic around that, 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 that gets out things that wouldn't be as strongly experienced if it were a list, a listicle top things you should do Mm -hmm. to be prepared for your next marathon. I don't, I'm not, I actually think of the shit everywhere. And I'm so I'm frankly, I'm a little sick of it. 
Yeah, well, that's and I think that that's not what we're doing. Yeah, and I do think just as we broke. But down I don't your know race. if this is a digestible product, which is fine, you mm-hmm. know, for the masses. It's it's definitely not a digestible product, and it. I hope it never becomes. One. Okay, I just <laughs> want to be be clear about that because because like if we were trying to engineer it to, you know, the five best foods to eat before you run a race. Well, like, let me give you let me give you an example. So we just did an episode talking about running as a movement practice. We didn't really expect it to be about that, but it ended up turning into we a could probably discussion about, about it. 10 more of those. Right. And but I then cut an episode that's already it's not out yet, but it's been cut already with a very practical primer on what it would look like to have running as a movement practice that could then be put out to the world that people can digest and use that way. So my feeling is much of what we're going to be doing on a weekly basis is unpacking whatever core comp- whatever core thing is going on in my head that I'm eventually going to put out in a much more pragmatic, I like that. pragmatic yeah. way in another product that people can have free access to. So this is like the fan club to a product that we haven't quite refined. Correct. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. That makes it sense. It's like, yes. <laughs> yes. It's like a disc- because, It's like the, it's like maybe the book this club the before fan- the book was written. It's like the fan club... <laughs> to maybe there's some folks out there who like the shoe company. Yes. And they're like, shit, I wonder what it's like. I wonder what this dude's thinking every once in a while about maybe some nuggets about like Jump going in. through this. It's like, yep. yeah, they're like, all right, kind of get the little back back seat on this. Yeah, cannonball. Just yeah, jump in funny. like cannonball. <laughs> or, and jump in when the topic seems appropriate to you. You think it might be good. Or like like a good, I think the vast majority of Collins, people, man. the vast majority of people that are listening to us, I'm, I'm convinced based on the metrics I can see, uh, they're less, the same people are listening to us pretty consistently. So That's we, cool. those folks like what we've got and they're willing to take the ride with us. And I don't get a whole lot of, I get, I only get positive feedback. I never get negative feedback. Of course, if there was negative feedback, they probably just off channeled, but I haven't seen a significant drop of you listeners. You know what they say so. though? Well, I don't know what they say, um, but I, I do know that you're going to bring out some of your brothers. You don't have haters business. Oh yeah. Yeah. Then you're not. Yeah. So true. Not yes. throwing enough steam, man. Yes, totally. Yes. All right. So here, here's what I think. Tell us what you think, Michael. I don't have much about, <laughs> you know, I, I you know. No, you think a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't say you don't think a lot. <laughs> Speaking of, we, we had somebody else get popped for. Some performance enhancing oh, drugs. Oh shit! Yep. Yeah, we can do. We can do a follow up one day on this. Um, interesting times, and, and uh, but yeah, that was a fun. That was a fun episode. You mm-hmm. know, we we do some we do some good work. I think we do. I think we do work that it's just highly unique. Yeah. Um, I listen to Kara Goucher and uh, Des Linden's podcast every podcast? once in a while. It's it's really good. Um, I'm not a huge. Are they trying to be focused on on packaging, or are they no, kind of? They're having a conversation. That's great. But I think that they have topics and then they go down them. But I think that their varied interests, are, and they're so different. As Des Linden is is a is a beautiful human being. And so is Kara Goucher. I I had a I lot know of, more. About- I had a lot of like not so great things in my heart about her for a while, but that podcast has made me feel a little bit more gentle around her. Because of her, she's a fan. She loves the sport and it's taught her a lot. And that comes through in that podcast. And I just think it's so fantastic, especially since every podcast I'm in, because I'm a man, 
pretty much just has men, men talking about yeah. running. So to get a woman's yeah, perspective, especially with my, myself who, who feels really resonant with women and does well coaching them, and then to hear too high and one is still, she just set the, just set the, the master's, American master's yeah. record um, in Desland. And, and Kara doesn't, is still runs but doesn't race, but she's a commentator and she's watching this sport at the highest levels. She's at the world championships, commentating at the world championships. I mean, she commentated when in the world record that uh, that Faith Kepugon ran and she, her excitement and, and just seeing her play out and this, I don't listen to the podcast every week. I just listen to it occasionally, but it's really good stuff. So That's I do awesome. think there are these conversational podcasts that are out there. Um, for running, and I think they're good. I think they're good, and the world, the world, um, probably doesn't need another, you know, listicles. Even <laughs> though I'm putting one out there, but my listicles are super funky and weird, or or so actionable that if you're not doing them, you're missing a really important thing, right? So I'm either weird or essential. <laughs> That's all I really focus on. That's what I'm you can trying be, to focus on. I think you can be both. Ah, like, uh, well, like it's, Tom in Sachs, it's in my life. He's got life. <laughs> a great YouTube channel to onboard any of the studio hands. Yeah. <laughs> and they're beautiful little 15-minute videos on how to be on time and mm, shit. Yeah. And, and why that makes sense and the studio code, like the color mm-hmm. code of the studio. And and uh, and and I think that that'd be a good one, I think, for you to check out the Tom Sachs uh, Industrial Artist well, it's kind uh, of what we too. thought about doing initially with uh, the field guide to the yeah, yeah, yeah. to the human foot, the field guide to the to runners, and it's getting more clear now. If you watch that as kind of a, a as an ethos, like I'm, I'm like, oh man, that that's the way to do it. But mm-hmm. uh, but those kinds of nuggets need these kinds of conversations yes. to 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 work through and wear down the rough edges yeah i'm still so it, working down if i actually exist <laughs> yeah well <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent on that subject yet yeah. uh, i'm trying yeah. getting there yeah. no i think i i do think that um it's fun to bring up every once in a while to make sure we take a snapshot state of the union what are we talking about where are we going and make sure that we're not being a bunch of stooges just trying to give away clickbait there you go <laughs> of which we're not there you have it, people. We did a tripart, tripartite podcast, part music review, part race review, part podcast review. Yeah. We reviewed <laughs> our own stuff. Yes. Except we didn't write the album. It would have been damn cool if we did, though. Yes. It inspired me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a piece of work together one well, day. Well, I do, I do think it mashes with your style, yeah. what you... The kinds of music I think you like and the kinds of music you put out um, mesh that well with that. Well, thanks, guys, for listening to us, and uh, we'll check you out next week. Godspeed. <laughs>